Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to Real Skiers with Jackson Hogan. In this episode, my plan is to read into the record realskiers.com's voluminous coverage of the All-Mountain West category, including reviews of all of this season's recommended men's, or unisex, models. This dissertation kicks off with a detailed explanation of the All-Mountain West category, then segues into what, in particular, is new for the 2021-22 season. Then I'll get into the nitty-gritty of all the individual model reviews, broken into two camps, power and finesse. I'll explain what I mean by power and finesse in a few minutes. Occasionally, I'll slip in some editorial amendments you won't find in the realskiers.com gear guide as a reward for listening to this oral orgy of observations. Since this category is packed with fabulous skis, and my long-form reviews can run upwards of 1,000 words, we'd best get started. If there is a single do-it-all ski, particularly for western big mountain skiing, it no doubt lives in this category. The reason is simple. Up to this girth, which ranges from 95mm to 100mm underfoot, these relatively wide skis don't feel fat underfoot, so they ride the groom like a frontside ski, yet provide as much flotation and powder as possible without the width being a negative when the powder is gone. Manufacturers recognize the importance of this genre and therefore give it their very best effort, creating a rich array of options for the high-performance skier. It's remarkable that one category can contain so many different sensations, and almost every ski is really, really good. Pay attention to this category, dear reader, for if you don't already own an all-mountain west ski, you will. When I penned that opening paragraph some three years ago, I added an addendum that the skis in this category would probably have a waist width of 98 or 100 millimeters. That's not true anymore. We can find models at every one millimeter increment of waist width between 95 and 100. Now let's get back to our text. A mere 15 years ago, we would have choked on those words, that if you didn't already own an all-mountain west ski, you would as skis 100 millimeters underfoot were then niche models positioned as ideal for Alaskan heli guides. The evolution that has taken place in the interim was triggered by the arrival of the vocal mantra in 2006, at first in the slightly more svelte waist width of 94 millimeters. As with most vocals made for men, then as now, there was no skimping on the quality of the construction. The mantra was a rich, powerful ski right out of the chute. It performed like a soft GS race ski, but in a width that tracked through powder like the Blitzkrieg, taking no prisoners. It quickly found a following due to Vocal's already swollen ranks of faithful adherents, attracting the attention of every other major brand, as nothing engenders a wave of imitators quite like creating a new niche with a high price tag. Driving the success of this genre is the eternal hope that part of the do-it-all equation will be a generous dose of fresh, deep powder. If you eliminate powder and its evil twin, crud, from the mix of conditions in which you'll use the ski, there's no compelling reason to increase the ski's flotation. But unless you live at the base of the ski resort, you can't be sure what you'll encounter on a big mountain. If a pocket of powder suddenly becomes available, wouldn't you rather be on a ski that will embrace the situation? This is the mentality that has persuaded an increasingly large percentage of the market to gravitate to this genre. Now, that last sentence is another one that's changed a little bit over time. I do think over the last couple of years, we're seeing the pendulum of waste width swing back towards a narrower bracket that we call All Mountain East and a little bit away in the the right direction from the All Mountain genre that is today's topic. Most, if not all, print-published ski tests would include under the All Mountain West heading skis up to 110 millimeters underfoot. Their inclusion is in part driven by the manufacturers who want to increase the number of star products in this critical genre, but we believe bundling models on either side of the 100mm divide ignores a vital distinguishing trait. Narrower skis put less strain on the skier in every condition but powder slash crud. Sure, young bucks who log countless miles on western slopes use 108s and wider as their everyday ski, God bless them but we feel that the skis between 101 and 113 millimeters underfoot should be treated as big mountain models that transparently sacrifice certain hard snow behaviors to achieve greater flotation and presumed ease in unbroken snow. 
Within any genre, there are skis that are curl-in-your-lap pussycats, these are our finesse favorites, and skis that are relentless fall-line predators, which we collect into our power favorites. The key virtue of the former is they improve ease and terrain access for less aggressive, lighter weight, or lower skill skiers. The archetypical trait of the power posse is that they are utterly unflappable no matter where you go or how fast you go once you get there. There isn't a line of copy in any supplier's brochure that would suggest their all-mountain west ski possesses a single limitation, but this untempered enthusiasm conveniently overlooks a critical factor, namely the prospective skier's skill level. To be brief, Anyone who would not classify himself or herself as advanced is looking behind the wrong door. To be less brief, if you don't regularly tip the ski to a high edge ankle, if you don't ski with your feet extended away from your body, if you don't have separation between the central angle of your upper body and the median that runs from your hips to your feet, if you don't ski comfortably at speed, then you should look for a frontside ski that will help you develop these skills. The problem is that if a lower skill skier acquires a model with a 100mm waist too early in his or her development, forward progress will freeze, slow down, or even regress as the wider ski proves too cumbersome to tilt. The skier will probably feel better in powder and crud, but that's about the extent of the benefits. Now let's take a look at the detailed changes that occurred in the 2022 All-Mountain West field. The All-Mountain West category, while not as densely populated as the broader All-Mountain East genre, is commercially at least as important. No other category exerts as strong an influence on a brand's image, in part because the best skiers on a given, most likely Western U.S., mountain, most likely ride an All-Mountain West model as their daily driver. Its importance to all ski brands is underscored by the number of new and significantly improved models introduced this season. Of the 19 models we examined at realskiers.com, 8 are new, or 42% of the field. That's a lot of fresh faces for a year during which product development was difficult at best. Two of this season's debutantes ended on top of our rankings, with Vocal's M6 Mantra assuming the throne as best power model and Head's Core 99 earning Best in Show for finesse properties. Both are utterly amazing in completely different ways. Kessley launched two new AMW missiles, the FX96TI and the surprising ZX100, bringing its model total in the genre to three. Note that the unchanged MX98 remains one of the top All-Mountain West models. Atomic is also introducing two new AMW models to go alongside a returning staple. The new Maverick 100 Ti and Maverick 95 Ti aim at the same all-terrain target, and both exhibit laudable finesse traits, but the 100 Ti's superior flotation in soft snow and better grip on hard snow gives it the edge in our team's estimation. Liberty, small brand though it is, modified its Evolve 100 by adding a third alu strut to its vertical metal technology core, in the process transforming it from a mellow finesse model to a fall-line charging power ski, a clear demonstration of vertical metal technology's efficacy. One new model that would have earned recognition for its finesse virtues, only we didn't tally enough ballots to rank it, is Solomon's totally overhauled QST-98. While the QST-99 it replaces was a fine all-mountain ski, the arrival of the Stance 96 last season rendered it redundant. The new QST-98 widens the behavioral gulf between the two Solomon All-Mountain West entrants, with an amply rockered baseline that delivers a bit of drift with every arc. It behaves more like a greasy pipe-and-park model than the directional All-Mountain model it replaces in the Solomon line. All unisex All-Mountain West models, whether new or returning, biased towards power or finesse properties, lightweight or burly, strive to serve two masters by providing enough surface area to facilitate off-piece skiing while retaining basic carving skills for when the off-trail is off-limits. AMW finesse models focus on making off-road terrain easier to tame for less aggressive skiers, while recommended power skis come alive at higher revs. Once infused with speed, the top power picks don't so much float over choppy terrain as demolish it.
And now a quick prelude to this season's power picks. Not all the best skiers on big mountains use All Mountain West skis as their everyday ski, but the ones that do are probably on one of our power picks. It's not that less skilled skiers can't handle them if sized appropriately, but these skis aren't meant to mosey down the mountain. They're built to batter down the stiffest crud, an approach that only works if the throttle is open. If you're an expert skier and you haven't tried one of these models yet, don't let another season go by without doing so. To paraphrase the late, great Warren Miller, if you don't do it this year, you'll be another year older when you do. To inject a personal note into the proceedings, I adhere to my own advice, choosing an all-Mountain West power ski as my daily driver. If you're a Western skier who logs more than 30 days a season and charges the fall line, you probably already have one of these models. If you don't, get one. And now, the review for the number one power ski of the 21-22 season, the Vocal M6 Mantra. Anytime a brand introduces a fundamentally new technology, it takes a couple of years to learn how to optimize it. Now that Vocal engineers have tinkered with Tetanol Frame for a few seasons, testing countless iterations, they've found a way not only to perfect the benefits of Tetanol Frame, but to magnify its virtues with a couple of complementary components. The marriage of the new tailored Tetanol Frame with 3D radius side cut and tailored carbon tips has created a new benchmark for the genre that will, in all probability, soon be recognized as one of the greatest all-terrain skis of all time. Let's dive into the details. The key to Tetanol Frame is breaking what is normally a uniform top sheet of metal into three sections. The fore and aft sections of Tetanol are shaped like an elongated U, with metal concentrated around the perimeter. The alu alloy here is 0.7 millimeters thick, much thicker than usual, which accentuates the tip and tail's connection to the snow, somewhat counterintuitive for an all-terrain ski. The center section, which doesn't mesh with the tip and tail pieces, is 0.3 millimeters thick, a brilliant touch as it makes the center of the ski more flexible without losing its dampening qualities in the critical underfoot area. This feature matches up perfectly with 3D radius side cut, which we'll get to in a moment. New for the 2021-22 season is tailored tetanol frame that trims the width of the front section of tetanol to fit each size. This has the direct effect of making longer lengths noticeably beefier than their shorter kinder. If you're used to skiing a 184 centimeter, you might consider dropping to a 177 to maximize the M6's versatility. Tailored Tetanol Frame has essentially rounded off the rough edges of the M6's shorter length so they're easier to handle. Even an ambitious intermediate can contemplate acquiring an M6 for its expansive upside, minus the tortuous learning curve. Its floor is low and its ceiling is high, notes Bobo's tester John Hume. Compared to the M5, the M6 Mantra has a kinder, gentler personality in sizes below 184 centimeters. While it's certainly not the softest flexing ride in the All-Mountain West category, its shorter lengths don't require high energy to activate, which is why I've awarded the M6 a silver skier selection. The key to the Mantra M6's off-the-charts versatility lies in its 3D radius side cut, a feature that isn't new to vocal but is new to the Mantra, and boy does it make a difference. Variable radius side cuts aren't new, but Vocal's version is particularly clever. The front section, left to its own devices, would cut a long radius turn. The rear section is likewise long radius, albeit a bit tighter than the forebody, and the center section's radius is considerably shorter. This may sound like the pilot needs to be careful about how he goes about pressuring the ski, but that's exactly what you don't have to do. I made the mistake of overthinking 3D radius when I went out on a 184 M6 trying to imagine how I should access the tight radius center. Dumb. The whole point of 3D radius is you don't have to think about it to activate it. Just go skiing. When you want to make a short turn, ask for one the usual way. Otherwise, the M6 is happy to motor along on a very secure edge at speeds that will make your lips flap. Notice I said lips, not tips. Not content with all the forebody stability delivered by Tetanol Frame, Vocal added a delicate braid of carbon fiber to the shovel, part of the ski most other all-terrain models leave floating inertly in space. Vocal made hundreds of iterations of tailored carbon tips, searching for just the right response. 
the patch of fleece containing the carbon matrix has to be hand laid into the mold, a level of artisanship that many skiers assume is the exclusive province of luxury brands. Despite all these embellishments, the MSRP for the Mantra M6 is the same as it was last year for the Mantra M5, or $825. During a Zoom call, I asked product manager Andreas Mann how it was possible, in an age when many brands strive to cut costs, vocal ownership allowed R&D to increase their costs, to make a better rather than a cheaper ski. His reply was that the design team had the full confidence and support of upper management. This is what happens when product comes first. Before I go on, I want to mention something quickly about the carbon tips that I just mentioned, the tailored carbon tips. The cool thing about this is that it liberates design because carbon previously had to be laid into the ski in a fixed pattern, usually a unidirectional line from tip to tail. Now the designer can put carbon basically in any place in the ski in any pattern they want to. So that's why I say it should liberate future design. All of Vocal's attention to detail pays off big time once skis hit snow. The Mantra M6 has the end-to-end connection that true experts, those who know how to use a ski, crave. You don't need three feet of rocker on a five-foot ski if you know how to turn. Similarly, you don't need a crutch in crud if you know how to keep the hammer down. The M6 skis a lot like a recreational GS ski, content to stay close to the fall line as it builds speed and stores energy. When you drive into the tip, it curls into an arc like a cutting horse. The more steeply you set the edge, the faster it comes around, without ever feeling jerky or calling attention to its multi-radius side cut. It's calm as a cucumber in a crisis, yet it's livelier, by far, than is the norm in its genre. With its ultra-secure snow connection, the M6 behaves like an obese technical carver, with an on-trail bias despite its off-trail girth. Yet the M6 is only as carve-obsessed as its pilot is. It can drift into a turn as readily as any ski of its width, and its extremities are modestly rockered. And don't let its carving chops fool you into thinking it will balk at track-riven crud. The Mantra M6 fears nothing. It's the crud that should be afraid of it. All that tetanol gets busy when the going gets rough, so the M6 purrs through clumpy snow that would deflect a lesser ski. While I'm trying to wean some of my dear readers off their dependence on test scores, it is interesting to note that when all scores are tallied, the M6's power and finesse scores were identical. Great skis are like that. They aren't just powerful, they're also simplicity itself to ski. It's an irresistible amalgam, and what makes the Mantra M6 a star that will shine for many seasons to come. And now the second ski in our parade of winners in the all-Mountain West genre, the Kessley MX-98. The MX-98 is an outlier in the all-Mountain West genre, the only ski in the category that headlines a family of fully cambered carving skis. Its only concession to the requirements of off-trail travel is a long, 270mm, front rocker that's so gradual it's imperceptible. Given that its classic core of wood, silver fir and poplar, fiberglass and tetanol in 05 millimeter sheets isn't particularly lightweight, how can it ski comparably to an armada of competitors with double rockered baselines and lighter weight constructions? Well, it doesn't. It behaves differently from most, if not all, of its competition in how well it maintains snow contact. What's remarkable is how well this translates to the irregularity of off-trail skiing. While the MX-98 can float in fresh snow, it's not bobbing on the top as much as it is trenching through whatever lies ahead, regardless of depth or consistency. Its chassis may be built for carving, but its 98mm girth at the waist allows it to plane sideways, in test card parlance, to drift over the most manky crud with a calm that would make the Buddha proud. When pointed downhill, the MX-98 gets the message to giddy up, hewing close to the fall line. Finishing a short radius turn on edge isn't going to happen, but the MX-98 can switch from a carve to a drift and vice versa in the blink of an eye, so it can always swivel across the hill to break or change route. Few conditions are as intimidating as bone-flat light, where all terrain features disappear in a miasma of misty gray. Not that this is anyone's idea of nirvana, but it happens, and when it does, it would be good to be on the MX-98. It exudes confidence, a blessing when the pilot has little of his own. 
Like the Bonafide 97 and the Mantra M6, the MX-98 doesn't care where you aim it. Its tendency is to stay pinned to the planet, rolling over whatever is presented in its path. While one wouldn't call it agile, neither is it nervous or indecisive. Whether flat or on edge, it's a ski you can trust, which is of paramount importance when you can't see squat. Sad to say, the most likely condition an all-terrain ski will encounter is also the most mundane. Groomers. If you own an MX-98, you'll actually look forward to a morning of corduroy, for groomers are to the MX-98 what the briar patch was to Br'er Rabbit, its natural element. Rolling it edge to edge, twin track style, you'd never guess you were on a 98mm wasted ski. The ski simply doesn't call attention to itself in any unpleasant way. No loose tip, no sense of sluggish girth, no soft tail to spin out. If you know how to fire out of a turn, the MX-98 gives you a tail you can stomp on. Every so often I catch wind of an insidious rumor that the latest MX series can't hold a candle to the MX models of the recent past. Rubbish. On the contrary, the MX-83, MX-88, and MX-98, the elite of the Kessley collection, have never been better. The MX-98 possesses a unique ratio of off-piste and on-trail traits that together make it one of the most powerful all-terrain skis ever made. Because the MX-98 is at heart a technical ski, it's best appreciated on the feet of a skilled skier. No question the new MX-98 is a more forgiving, easier-to-manage model than its ancestors, but it's still not a set of training wheels. Jim Schaffner of Starthouse, the embodiment of a strong technical skier, assesses the MX-98 as, quote, a huge improvement over the 1920 model. This answers the question about the quality of the new factory. This is a must-have on the ski wall for next season, close quote. Footloose Sports' Larry Rose concurs, whimsically noting that to properly score the MX-98, quote, I need an 11 on the real skier's scale. Which brings us to my perennial favorite, the Blizzard Bonafide 97. The Blizzard Bonafide has been at or near the top of our all-Mountain West rankings since it burst on the scene about a decade ago. While it's undergone four or five tweaks since its debut, its enduring excellence is due primarily to what hasn't changed, the original flip-core construction that removes all stress from the rocker-camber transition. As soon as the ski is pressured, the transition zone disappears and the full length of the ski finds the snow. A bona fide feels engaged from tip to tail because it is. This is the foundational reason for its sustained success. Over its relatively long lifespan, the bona fide has found a few thorns in all the roses thrown its way. One criticism is that its brawny build is best managed by experts, and there's something to this claim in that the bona fide performs better with some energy flowing through it, meaning it likes to be ridden fast. Some find it boring and wonder what the big deal is. In the Bonafide's defense, all high-performance skis perform better under an expert's guidance, and an affinity for speed is not, by itself, a demerit. Furthermore, if you want rebound energy out of a Bonafide, you have to load it. If you just stand there looking cute, it won't react because you haven't told it to. While there are worse problems to have, being known as an experts-only ski is a concern nonetheless, one Blizzard addressed last year with the introduction of the True Blend Core. The objective of True Blend was a smooth, round flex adapted for every size, married to a flex pattern and baseline likewise adapted by length. The key to its execution was the precise location of denser strips of beach in a predominantly poplar core. Each size was treated like its own model, so the shorter skis were also softer and more accessible to lighter and lower skill skiers. Quote, There's nothing this ski won't do with ease, comments Jim McGee of Peter Glenn. It won't overwhelm a strong intermediate, but will really reward the expert, he concludes. True blend specificity by length magnifies the importance of size selection. The 189 cm likes to run with the throttle open. If you'd prefer to tighten up the side cut radius and have a little more camber underfoot, the 183 cm is a wiser choice. The 177 Bonafide 97 is easily managed by skiers who prefer to canter rather than gallop and doesn't require an extra kick of testosterone to make it responsive. 
Any ski in the all-mountain west genre has to be able to manage chopped-up crud, as that's about as close to a pristine snowfield as an inbound skier is likely to find after 9.30 in the morning. There's no better proving ground for the bona fide 97 supreme talent, smashing through uneven tracked-up powder as if it were buttery smooth. Yes, it takes some speed to do this, but that's how to ski heavy chop. If you've never tried a bona fide, listen to the testimony of Peter Glenn's Mark Rafferty after his first date with a bonnie. Wow! After skiing the bona fide, I'm wondering, where have you been my whole life? My bad. This is a gorgeous ski for ripping strong, fast turns and feeling like it's working with you 100%. So smooth, so confidence-reinforcing. On scratchy hard pack, right there with you. On softer snow, it seems to cheer you on. A supreme ski for the expert, but not intimidating for a better intermediate. Yes, I love this ski, confesses the thoroughly smitten Rafferty. No one has yet made a more terrain-agnostic ski than the Bonafide 97, which remains one of the best all-terrain skis of this or any other generation. The same could be said for our next ski, the Nordica Enforcer 100. While there are no statistics I can point to to substantiate my argument, I would contend that the Enforcer 100 is the most powerful model in the All-Mountain West Pantheon. It earns this distinction due to an extra-high camber line that begins to load with stored energy from the moment you stand on it. Nordica alleges that the Enforcer 100 surrenders half of its baseline to rocker, 30% in the front and 20% of the rear running surface are pulled off the snow at one of the most aggressive angles in the genre. Yet despite this inherent loss of snow contact, the Enforcer 100 doesn't ski loose, not at all. The tip and tail are made of the same stern stuffing as the midsection, so they don't flop around on hard snow and aren't easily buffeted off course by sodden crud. One reason the early vintage Enforcer 100s were so stout is that, due to molding limitations, all sizes used the same baseline. This was one of the major changes introduced just last season. Each size of the 2021 and 2122 Enforcer 100 has a unique baseline, side cut, and core profile. This change is significant as each size will ski a little differently, so think twice before sizing up. Because the Enforcer 100 was the first member of the now extensive Enforcer family, it was passed over for product improvements that became staples for the rest of the series. The two most significant of these both aim at weight reduction. True Tip extends the wood core deep into the shovel, reducing the amount of heavy ABS needed to stabilize this area. Adding carbon stringers to its top glass laminate reduced the amount of heavy fiberglass required by 35%. Bear in mind, the Energy 2 titanium construction continues to use two end-to-end wall-to-wall sheets of 0.4mm tetanol around an all-wood core, along with the glass and carbon, so it's not like it's lost any of its athleticism. This is still a very powerful, very live ski. The biggest change in on-snow comportment between the ancestral enforcer and the newbie is in the forgiveness and ease of use departments. Not that the old boy has been gutted. Far from it. But the new kid seems to transition to its camber zone more smoothly, and while it's still lively off the edge, it's easier to decamber in its longer lengths. It's unusually easy to feather the edge or switch from carving to drifting to match the terrain. The acid test for an all-terrain ski with aspirations of greatness is a powder-covered mogul field that was untouched two hours ago. The Enforcer 100 looks at this dumpster fire of a ski run with the preternatural calm of the Buddha. It's not worried if you're not. Don't be afraid to floor it, for the 2022 Enforcer 100 still has the guts of a GS race ski. Intimidation is not in its vocabulary. Here's what Jim Schaffner of Starthouse declaimed after dismounting from the Enforcer 100 in its mammoth 191-centimeter size. Bear in mind that Schaffner is the rare talent for whom this size is appropriate. Quote, So that was the Enforcer 100 in a size 191-centimeter. Really, really fun in these conditions. 16 inches of slightly compact powder that started to get chewed up a bit. Found this ski to be exceptionally versatile, moving from the chopped up stuff into fresh pow. Very predictable and very well balanced. The balance between the front of the ski and the back of the ski allows you to stay nice and clean and centered, an important aspect when skiing difficult conditions. All in all, a very good ski for conditions today. 
I can feel the versatility available in this ski. Power and forgiveness in equal measure is the holy grail of ski design. The Enforcer 100 comes frightfully close to this ideal. It's like an all-wheel drive roadster, sucking up terrain changes, drifting through hairpins, and firing down the fall line. This is why you get an all-terrain ski in the first place. You don't have to be an expert to handle the Enforcer 100, provided you get the correct length for your ability and where you plan on skiing, but it never hurts to have elite skills. When sizing it for everyday use, be aware that the tip rocker is steep but short, so you don't lose much snow contact. This means a 179cm is plenty stable for most men, especially those who favor tight turns, moguls, and or trees as their favorite haunts. Which brings us to a perennial member of our winner's circle in the All Mountain West category, the Stokely Stormrider 95. The one condition that separates the best All Mountain West skis from the merely excellent is crud. It's the dream of perpetual powder that drives the category. There's no other reason to have a ski this wide. But the reality is uncut powder is over and done with within the first few minutes after any big mountain's opening bell. Then you have to navigate a wildly variable condition that continues to deteriorate hour by hour. The skis no longer have a clean surface to plane over, and the tracked-up terrain tugs them in multi-axis directions. The only way to prevail is to gun it which on a weak read will feel like very bad advice. The Stokely Stormrider 95 gets it. It knows that the winning strategy is to pummel crud into submission. You don't have to pick a line, for the Stormrider 95 will create its own path through the rubble. All the pilot has to do is move his feet across the fall line and otherwise remain calm, poised, and aim downhill. Not everyone is constitutionally equipped for this exercise. If the idea of blazing down a 40-degree pitch covered in total crap sounds more insane than idyllic, there are plenty of finesques in the All Mountain West genre to serve you. But for those who revel in busting through wind berms, there's only a fistful of models that feel comfortable in the chaos of high-speed crud skiing. The Stormrider 95 is among the best in the world at this game. Take away all the powder and replace it with hard pack, and the Stormrider 95 transforms into a GS ski, reeling off long radius turns that are as secure as a Swiss bank account. It can even execute tight, short radius turns with full edge contact because it doesn't feel wide or ski wide. Of course, it can also smear like a putty knife, but a lot of wide skis can manage that feat. It's the knife edge grip on firmer surfaces that's rare. Listen to what veteran ski tester Rick Stalker wrote after his test session. Quote, Skied on this model beginning of the day in very firm conditions and later in variable spring conditions. It felt sure-footed from the get-go and always trustworthy. The balance and turn radius were incredible and always felt spot-on. I never felt I had to manipulate or adjust my stance in any turn. The 95 treated me like a horse that knew its rider and fully accepted what you wanted definitely a ski I could take for a lot of conditions and feel totally at home. Maybe a little heavy for much over a foot of fresh, but a fantastic choice for skiing all over the mountain. Overall, just a great ski. The key to the Stormrider 95's breathtaking performance range is its willingness to go with the flow. It has a remarkable repertoire. It can do turns of any radius, its soft tip curling into a tight turn on hard pack, or floating up and over broken terrain as if it were smooth. It feels substantial without weighing all that much, allowing it to be more agile than the norm in this genre. Perhaps most importantly, it's a supremely well-balanced ski, which allows the skier to steer it from any stance. One performance trait that is increasingly hard to find in all-terrain skis is rebound, or energy off the edge at the bottom of a turn. If skied passively, the Stormrider 95 mimics its master's tempo. The pilot would never know he's sitting on a powder keg. But if you let it run, then bury the edge in a laid-over arc, the SR95 springs to life, shooting the skier out of its trench and across the fall line with the reactions of a Mamba's strike. Anyone contemplating a Stormrider this season has three choices, the 88, 95, and new 102. The Stormrider 95 is clearly the pick of the litter. Its stability on edge is vastly superior to the new Stormrider 102, and its energy off the edge makes it feel more maneuverable than the narrower SR88. There are few decisions in life you know you'll never regret. Owning a Stormrider 95 
is one of them. And now we get to the Solomon Stance 96. One way to grok the role played by the Stance 96 in Solomon's line is to look at its counterpart in Solomon's QST collection, the new QST 98. Earlier versions of this QST included on-trail features like super-wide tips and multiple doses of shock-dampening fibers, but the new QST-98 has a clear bias for off-trail conditions. Solomon can afford to tilt the QST towards the side of the trail conditions because the Stance 96 is so rock-solid on groomers. Vis-a-vis its competition from other brands, the Stance 96 takes dead aim at the wooden Tetanil chargers from Blizzard, Nordica, Kessley, and Stokely. If you want to play with big boys, you have to use the same materials. So the Stance 96 sandwiches its poplar core with laminates of tetanol and carbon flax fiber, which they call CFX, a double dose of dampeners that keeps the Stance 96 planted on the planet. The only acknowledgement that it's up for heading off trail is a rocker tip that feels a little lost when it hasn't any loose snow under it to give it something to do. The Stance 96 handles speed well which is a good thing, as it likes to hew closely to the fall line. Its long, natural turn shape is the product of an unusually narrow tail that helps keep the skier oriented downhill. A rectangular cutout in the tetanol top sheet pairs off a few ounces, so the Stance 96 feels a little more agile than its girth would suggest, but it imparts a sensation of imperturbable solidity more than playfulness. Tester comments confirm the Stance 96's affinity for hauling ass downhill. Quote, silky smooth and confident in long turns where it's solid and high speeds, notes a footloose foot soldier. Very solid feel, echoes Jim Schaffner of Start House. Predictable, powerful edge grip makes it a home run. All in all, the Stance 96 possesses an almost perfectly balanced blend of power and finesse properties with a slight bias towards hard snow in a genre obsessed with the soft stuff. The Stance 96 may not reside at the top of the All-Mountain West pile, but at least it has membership in the exclusive club of outstanding all-terrain skis. Next in our lineup is the Fisher Ranger 99Ti. The first Fisher skis to bear the Ranger name were essentially wider versions of Fisher's classic wood and teasonal all-terrain skis that were themselves near relatives of race skis. They were ponderous barges that sought to subjugate powder rather than caress it. That formula didn't fly too far, so the pendulum swung in the other direction, capitalizing on Fisher's expertise in lightweight cross-country ski cores to make a featherweight series of rangers. If that was the perfect solution, this generation of rangers would still be among the living. Turns out, all-terrain skiing includes hard, brittle snow, often on steep terrain. Bantamweight construction comes up short in this situation, and so the search continued. A couple of seasons ago, the pendulum swung back, and this time Fisher hit the mark, a ski that's solid but not stodgy, with a shape that lends itself equally to smearing and carving and steering control in all conditions. The baseline of the 21-22 Ranger 99 tie is amply rockered, so it rolls over irregular terrain with aplomb, and when the freshies have been flattened into groomers, an extra dose of tetanol underfoot keeps the Ranger 99 on course. Fisher has finally found the elusive balance between the needs for off-trail imprecision and on-trail accuracy. The Ranger 99 tie of today seems to be a ski without bias. It could care less about snow conditions, has no qualms about long turns at high speeds or short arcs at a snail's pace, and can switch from a drift to a carve in mid-turn. Its monotonously good scores were above our recommended cut line for every attribute we measure. Another bias that the Ranger 99 tie eschews is any trace of gender bias. The men's and women's versions are identical, save for the decoration on the top sheet, and Fisher's rationale for this homogeneity holds water. At this skill level, men and women tend to ski alike, so the need for a differentiated women's product is little to none. Our female testers validated this approach, praising the 99 tie in particular for its off-piste performance. Our male testers laud the Ranger 99 tie's agility for a ski of its girth, calling it, quote, nimble and quick to turn, light and playful, and best short turns of the big mountain soft snow skis. Its relatively zippy reflexes belie a sublime stability of speed that eluded the previous generation of Rangers but is inbred in the new 99 tie. Quote, it's a solid addition to the Fisher family, vows Jack Walzer of Jans, who has been an aficionado of Fisher's for a generation. By tweaking everything, core, 
baseline, sidewalls, Fisher transformed this commercially important model from what was once a lightweight who got beat up by mean conditions like hard snow or chunky crud into a lean machine that doesn't take any crap from any kind of snow, no matter what the Eskimos call it. The Ranger 99 tie deserves to be considered among the first rank of all Mountain West models. Which brings us to our next recommended ski, the Dinastar M-Pro 99. Just last season, Dinastar radically altered its all-mountain offering, replacing the long-in-the-tooth sham-slash-legend design with the M-Pro series. The M-Pro collection consists of four models that roughly parallel the ability hierarchy of novice for the M-Pro 84, intermediate for the M-Pro 90, advanced M-Pro 99, and pro-athlete with the M-Pro rider. The M-Pro 99 is clearly the sweet spot in the series, with more tetanol in its guts and a more connected-to-the-snow baseline. While there's metal in its makeup, it's a relatively mild dose, so the M-Pro 99 tie doesn't behave like a typical Austrian wood and metal sandwich. It's lighter and looser, with a baseline and build that are biased to off-trail conditions. It performs best when the surface isn't too slick, so it has something to push against and improve contact along the length of the ski. Skiers who don't barrel straight down the fall line will appreciate the M-Pro 99's mix of agility and stability. Its natural inclination is to make a medium to long radius turn. Short turns will tend to involve a bit of drift at the top and bottom, with a clean edge in the belly of the turn. Chargers who attack the hill like Footloose's Larry Rhodes will want to step up to the 186-centimeter length, which Rhodes describes as a, quote, 22-meter machine that eats up terrain. Many, if not all, models in the all-Mountain West genre build themselves as, quote, 50-50 skis, meaning that they are equally adept on hard, groomed snow and soft, irregular crud. But Dinastar knows that skiers don't buy a 99mm wasted ski to cruise groomers. They get one in hopes of never seeing a groomer again. So the M-Pro 99 is clearly more of a 70-30 stick, with the 70% falling on the off-trail side of the ledger. The shallow side cut and square tail design signal a directional ski that will plane evenly through tracked-up pow. Note the mere 10mm difference between tip and tail width, and less than 30mm delta from tip to waist. The only other place you'll find side cuts as straight as this is among the behemoths in the powder platoon. One way to think of the M-Pro 99 is as a powder ski shrunk to everyday dimensions, with a more supportive tail that will make a crisper arc on hardpack. While there's no doubt the M-Pro 99 would rather face a powder field than a race course, it's able to ride a quiet edge on hard snow in part because it uses a hybrid core, with a band of poplar down the middle and PU down the sides. As long as the top layer of snow has some give to it, the M-Pro 99 handles easily and responsibly. Its bias towards longer turns and their attendant higher speeds tilts its suitability to advanced skiers, but other aspects of its design favor finesse skiers who aren't likely to overload the tip. There's a new kid on Dinastar's block, the M399, and it's a different deal entirely. Essentially a narrow powder ski, its heavily rockered baseline is as loose as sneakers without laces. It's reviewed on real skiers among our all-Mountain West finesse favorites. If you want more terrain versatility, the M-Pro 99 is the way to go. Theron Lee is a precise technical skier with a penchant for short radius arcing. His take in the M-Pro 99 in a 179cm goes like this. Great all-around ski, able to ski a multitude of radii. Early rise in the tip allowed it to go over variable snow, and the new core made with polyurethane delivered a smooth ride and kept it quiet and stable at speed. Close quotes. Dinastar draws no distinction between its men's and women's models, so a few women's testers were able to essay the M-Pro 99 in 170-centimeter length. Laura Hughes-Allen filed this dispatch. I really like this ski. I don't usually ski anything much over 90 millimeters underfoot, but I was really impressed with this ski on groomers and off-piste. I skied it on a day where we had gotten about a foot of new snow over crud ice, and it had a lot of flow through the soft snow, but also charged through the crud, surprisingly grippy on the groomers as well. Megan Ox, a powerful technical skier who prefers her skis fully cambered, was surprised to find the M-Pro 99, quote, performed better in all categories despite the rocker tip, close quotes. Because it offers high performance without a lot of exertion from the pilot, we again award the M-Pro 99 a silver skier selection.
which brings us to another silver skier selection, the new Kessley FX96 Ti. It isn't easy playing second fiddle. Consider the fate of Kessley's FX series, forever the bridesmaid to the perennial bride, the MX series. The top three MX models are all avatars of excellence in their respective categories and have been for years. If it were child's play to make a series as good or better, more of Kessley's competitors would have already managed the feat. The challenge isn't just to make another legendary ski, already a steep hill to climb, but to make a MX-quality ski that's clearly not like an MX. In its first incarnation, several product cycles ago, the FX models used a tapered tip and double rocker baseline, essential elements in any off-trail-oriented model, to differentiate the series. Otherwise, the MX and FX models of yore skied similarly because they were constructed similarly. Kessley decided the two families weren't different enough, so they wisely kept the MX models intact and made the next generation of FX models with a radically different baseline that seemed to be 90% rockered, and even took the Tetanel out of half the tribe. No question this epic of FX skis didn't ski like a fully cambered MX model, but neither did it knock anyone's socks off. The FX HP models at least had Tetanel to stabilize them, but they were relatively lifeless. Back to the drawing board. Out came the Tetanel in the interest of lighter weight, replaced by a very sophisticated, read expensive, construction, essentially a carbon and glass wrapped wood core torsion box housed inside a laminated ski. While an impressive piece of engineering, the on-snow comportment of the most recently retired FX96 HP was uninspiring. Which brings us to the present and the new FX96 Ti. You'll note from the name that the Tetanel laminates are back, which is almost always a performance upgrade. Carried over from the last generation is a three-wood core comprised of strips of poplar interspersed with polonia on the outside of the core and harder beach in the middle. The changes make for a slightly heavier ski, but the added stability in all conditions is well worth the roughly 50 extra grams. Now that the FX96 Ti has returned to something closer to its original self, its performance ceiling has doubled. Sawyer Alford from Bobo's fell so hard for the FX96 Ti that he beseeched Kessley for sponsorship. His notes on the FX tie reveal the ardor of a young man in love. Quote, This ski is the perfect directional 95 to 100 millimeter underfoot ski. It's damp yet stiff enough that any energy you put into the ski will be given right back, which makes it more of a fun and hard charging ski than the Stokely ski in this category. This ski undoubtedly is king of its class and is easier to ski than, say, a Mantra M6. I'm impressed and obsessed with this ski, he breathlessly concludes. Sawyer is perhaps modestly overstating the case, but there's little doubt that within the new FX family, the FX96 Ti is the star product. Not surprisingly, it's quicker on and off the edge than the plumper FX106 tie, but what is eyebrow-raising is it feels more tenacious on edge and responsive off it than its narrower sibling, the FX86 tie. It still doesn't ski like, say, the MX-98, which feels more connected and imperturbable than the FX-96 tie, because its balance between on-piste and off-piste attributes has been tilted in favor of off-trail virtues. A peek at its test results confirms its off-piste predilections, as its score for drift outpoints its edging accuracy in every phase of the turn. A skier like Sawyer may tear directly downhill on the FX96 tie to test its limits, but it doesn't need to be driven in overdrive to be appreciated. It performs perfectly predictably at medium speeds when fed a steady diet of medium radius turns. Because its lower camber line makes it easier to bow and its well-rockered baseline is simplicity to steer, we confer upon the new FX96 Ti a silver skier selection. Now we turn our attention to the Liberty Evolve 100. Small batch producers like Liberty have a tough row to hoe. Aside from zero name recognition, they have to either work with an established factory or try to start their own facility, both of which have their disadvantages. Their other two biggest problems are how to differentiate themselves from the pack and thereby generate a sense of mission when it's highly unlikely they'll have unique materials or processes, and how to make a consistent product when limited demand dictates they work in short production runs. Small batch producers also have to decide how to reach potential customers, with almost all of them settling on a direct-to-consumer model, as that's the only way they can create enough gross margin to cover their higher costs. 
As RealSkiers.com is dedicated to the survival of specialty retailing, we only review brands that distribute their skis primarily through brick-and-mortar retailers. I'm obliged to say primarily, as every brand in Christendom sells a certain amount of their stock directly, perhaps a subject for a future revelation. What first attracted us to Liberty was their clear objective of establishing a viable dealer network, despite the added costs of charting this course. Its brand identity was defined by its lightweight bamboo and carbon construction, which was well adapted to wide-body off-trail skis, a domain overrun with small-batch brands. Then Liberty broke from the pack with Vertical Metal Technology, or VMT, just at the same time that industry powerhouses Rossignol and Blizzard introduced vertical struts in some of their top race-class models. Stunningly, the Liberty version with two aluminum struts seemed to deliver the glue-to-the-snow sensation this design is meant to deliver at a level at or above the big boys. Very impressive. As is often the case with new technologies, Liberty has spent the last couple of years trying to find the best formula for VMT's deployment, settling this season on a three-strut configuration in its all-mountain Evolve series. The vertical strips of aluminum are encased in bamboo stringers within a bamboo and poplar core that's reinforced with carbon and glass. It's a very rich and sophisticated construction that rises well above the norm among indie brands. As executed in the Evolve 100, VMT accentuates its carving traits, tipping its on-trail-off-trail ratio towards rocking groomers over ripping up crud. In a category in which most models can't wait to smear, the Evolve 100 prefers to carve, slicing long arcs, 19 meters and a 179 cm, that don't deviate far from the fall line. To tighten your turns, apply a higher edge angle. The Evolve 100 skis best when the skier is pressing forward into the tip, as one would on a technical ski, as opposed to the more centered stance favored by all-terrain skiers. It's possible to execute the top of a snug slalom turn by maintaining a high-edge angle combined with early pressure that would be wasted on most heavily rockered skis. But the stiff tail wants to straighten out the arc rather than finish in a big cross-hill bottom. Its insistence on carving and snow connection limits its enthusiasm for foot swiveling and smearing, and it's not light enough to throw sideways on a whim. Its unusual amalgam of traits gives the Evolve 100 a unique dedication to snow connection among skis 100 millimeters wide. Over the past three seasons, our experiences with Liberty have illuminated a point we tend to brush over, namely the vital importance of base prep. All brands, big and small, struggle with X-Factory finish. To loosen up the Evolve 100's tight grip, consider using a grind like a thumbprint or chevron that will improve its willingness to drift and move laterally, a must in tight quarters off trail. Well, dear listeners, that concludes our power picks for the All Mountain West category for the 21-22 season, but we have not yet touched upon our finesse favorites. They are not lesser lights and therefore do not deserve short shrift by being stuck at the end of an hour-long slog through all the power picks. So I will defer getting into all the details of our finesse favorites until we visit again next week, dear listeners, for the next episode of Real Skiers with Jackson Hogan. Thanks for listening.